Namaste everyone. Welcome to the Charvak podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. All right, today's podcast is about climate change. So let me give you guys a brief background. I came across uh, uh, Dr. Chetan Singh Solanki or Professor Chetan Singh Solanki through a common acquaintance of ours. And uh, I was introduced about his work and I really found it very interesting. So uh, today's podcast is titled Energy Swaraj because it is uh, about uh, Professor Solanki's uh, foundation and a drive. Uh, I, I will let uh, Professor Solanki talk about uh, himself a little more. But before all of that, Professor Solanki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for doing this. And now uh, we can talk about you. Can you? Can we maybe begin with where your background, your journey? Because you've been on a voluntary leave, from what I understand, for eight years from IIT. Yeah. So thank, thank you very much, uh, Kushal, for having me in this discussion. Well, I, I, I'm a professor at IIT Bombay and I'm on an unpaid leave and this is my fourth year. Uh, before that, I come from a small village in Madhya Pradesh, uh, really small, that even today there are no buses that goes there. But I was lucky enough to uh, study uh, in Indore and then IIT Bombay. I did my master's. I went to uh, Europe for my PhD. In between, I worked a little bit. Then I, I joined IIT Bombay, you know. And I went abroad. Uh, I left my job uh, after my master's in microelectronics, very highly paying job, because I wanted to do something in solar energy, which can you know benefit uh, society immediately. Uh, keeping in my mind that you know rural society immediately. So that's why I came back to India immediately after my PhD. And uh, so, uh, so I'm a professor at IIT Bombay, and uh, uh, I am on unpaid leave, and I'm. Doing this 11 years energy Swaraj Yatra. This is my fourth year of Yatra, and I live in a bus. Uh, last more than 1160 days, I've been living in this bus I, and traveling across the country. Before that, I did uh, uh, my master's from IIT Bombay. Uh, then I did my PhD from Europe. Uh, I, I left my job after my master's and went for PhD in solar because I wanted to uh, work on technologies that is. Uh, useful for the society. And I did that because I come from a small village in Madhya Pradesh in Thargon district, a village called Nemeth. So small that even today there are no buses that goes there. So I always wanted to work on a technology that can bring benefit to society. So after joining IIT Bombay, uh, I wrote books. I started writing research papers, setting you know research center and all. But I felt that the technology is not directly going to the society. And that is when I started working on a small solar product called Solar Study Lamp. And the whole idea was, why don't uh, every child who is studying in kerosene lamp, remember 2008, 9, uh, 10, 11, when electricity supply was not that great, a lot of students, lot means hundreds of millions of students were actually studying in, um, in the uh, kerosene lamp. So that therefore the idea was to uh, replace every kerosene lamp with the solar lamp. So I started working on that. We figured out the problems, why everywhere there is no solar lamp, you know, then availability, repairability, affordability. So I solved that problem by localizing the solution, which means training local people to assemble the solar product, repair the solar product, sell solar product, and therefore get the confidence, increase the availability of the product, earn money out of it, etc. And this project became really, really big. And uh, by 2018-19, uh, we uh, provided solar study lamp to eight and a half million families. We trained 10,000 women. Uh, they earned a lot of money out of it and etc. So it became very 
a kind of a very very successful project we got many awards because of that project but around the same time i traveled across the world in 2019 to celebrate 150th birth anniversary of mahatma gandhi and i thought why don't this solar lamp be learned and made by the student all across the world because uh, you know when somebody studies in solar lamp you know it he or she can avoid using carbon based electricity the and he or she can avoid carbon emission and carbon emission according to me is a violence to the you know environment and therefore the uh, i went across the world to bring millions of people on board to assemble their own study lamp and take a pledge of non violence to environment around that time we got a global award and lot of things happened and i got exposed deeply about the climate change and and what is not working all over the world how uh, despite uh, paris agreement despite cop meetings despite the tens and thousands of ngos climate change is worsening not slowing down and that's what i started thinking that if i want to contribute something uh, it has to be impactful within my lifetime i don't want to just do a feel good factor kind of thing and that is where i started thinking you know if mahatma gandhi would have been here right now what he would have done uh and he would have done some kind of march or yatra so that's that's the origin of my energy swaraj yatra and i thought it's a global problem it's not a problem of one state or one country it's a it's a problem of every human being so therefore i need to spend sufficient time you know not one two years but i decided to spend at least a decade so that's why my yatra duration is 11 years and because it's such a huge problem i felt it cannot be done in part in parcel and somebody has to be really doing it 365 days every morning evening saturday sunday holy diwali and that's why i have also placed that for 11 years i will not go home and i will dedicate it uh, i will dedicate 11 years of my life continuously uh, to solve this issue and that's what i'm doing right now uh, this energy swaraj yatra to create a massive public awareness and encourage people to take Uh, corrective actions so so w- what uh, kind of activities is the foundation involved in as you are doing this yatra if you could give some examples yeah so uh, so question uh, uh, that broadly what i understood uh, after really so much is that uh, uh, first of all we have to understand the whole game of energy itself mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know in our scriptures it says the whole world is play of energy and we are i think playing a wrong game of energy because 85% of energy that we use in the world in general comes from carbon source and coal oil and gas and when we look at the impact of that you know using carbon based energy that it results in carbon dioxide emission that it uh, once carbon is emitted it has life of 300 years on an average so the impact is quite disastrous you know and therefore one of the first and most important and i believe the most powerful activity that foundation is doing is making people energy literate knowing where the energy is coming where it is going how much i am consuming how much i am contributing to the carbon emission you know how what it is creating what kind of impact it is creating on climate change how i can reduce my emission how i can switch to solar energy these are all basic question i believe every user of energy should answer and that's why you know I, i'll show you that it's written on my shirt also i am energy literate are you the one of the most powerful action uh, i think the whole world needs to pause and do is become energy literate understand the game of energy and once you understand 
I think corrective actions will be automatic and it would not require a lot of regulations. Because I, I keep giving example of Mahatma Gandhi. You know, he, somebody asked him, Bapu, you know, why people do wrong things? And he said, because people don't know the outcome of that wrong thing. And once you know the outcome, he said, you know, like cobra, right? Snake cobra. If cobra bites, you're all going to die. Everybody knows this. And therefore, government doesn't need to make policy that when once you see cobra, you have to run away from it, right? Everybody does by default. Because we understand that that cobra bite will is enough to you know going to kill us. Similarly, we don't understand the impact of using carbon-based energy, and therefore we are careless users of carbon-based energy. And that's what one of the most powerful activity that we do is energy literacy. I have developed a training, uh, Kushal. By the way, as, as long as I was professor at IIT Bombay and teaching in IIT, I never thought about this. Once I started my yatra, I started meeting people and. Then I realized that before we talk about solar energy, let's talk about energy itself. Let us understand the game of energy. And who should understand? Every user of energy. Doesn't matter whether it's American or African or Indian or young or old or rural or urban. Every person has to understand this game of energy. And then only we can correct the climate change. Fair enough. But uh, maybe we can start with this itself. Now, I'm personally, I'm someone who believes climate change is real. Um, but uh, for people who don't know what climate change is, can you define it? What, what do we mean when we talk about climate change? I mean, climate change is all the time. It has always been changing. So yeah. what is so alarming about it? Well, I mean, so one thing is that uh, what people get confused sometimes and that, uh, of course, climate has always been changing. It's, it's not a stationary thing. Uh, but the change that happens naturally and the change that happens because of human activities are of different scale. The change that happens naturally, like, you know, this uh, cycle of uh, ice age coming and ice age going, that cycle is a millions of years, a very, very long cycle. But uh, the current change that we are all facing, the change in weather system, the summer is not same anymore, the winter is not same anymore, the monsoons are not same anymore. This change is happening very, very fast. And within my own lifetime, and I'm sure, Kushal, in your own lifetime also, you must have felt that the change is happening. So this very fast change happening in a very short time frame of a you know, few decades, uh, which is resulting in a change in weather system, is climate change, uh, which is definitely caused by the human activities, particularly the carbon emission because of the fuels that we use in our life petrol, diesel, coal, LPG, CNG, every usage of fuel results in carbon emission. By the way, what most people don't realize is that it's not only direct use of this fuel. It's not only petrol or diesel. When you and I am wearing shirts, we have become responsible for consuming energy that gone in making shirts. When you and I eat food cooked on LPG, we have become responsible for using uh, energy when you and I use material, cement, concrete, that is also contributing to the climate change. So it's a use of energy and a material. Both are responsible for uh, the carbon emission, which is uh, causing the climate change or change in weather system, which is happening really, really fast uh, within our lifetimes. Now, that that's fine. But see, the the biggest problem, anybody might hear you say this and their next reaction would be, to the that will be the next reply to that. Right. So how, how, right. how do you deal with that? 
Yeah, so that's a very nice question that people ask me. You know, so do, how do I leave then? And I, am I not going to eat food because it is cooked on LPG? And LPG is resulting in carbon emission that is heading to cli climate change. Well, of course, we need energy, right? We need energy to cook our food. We need energy for warmth, for the body, for the comfort, and to do our job. What we are going wrong and the world has gone wrong is not recognizing some basic fundamentals of living on this planet. And I call them boundary conditions of living on this planet. What we are not realizing that, look, guys, you know, science can grow, technology can grow, economy can grow, population can grow, but the size of the planet cannot grow. The amount of water on the planet cannot grow. The, the soil cannot grow. The minerals cannot grow. So what I believe has gone wrong in this world is this limitless growth that we are all doing. And therefore, uh, uh, it reminds me of what Mahatma Gandhi said that, you know, there is enough in the world for everyone's need, not for anyone's greed. And when did Mahatma Gandhi say this? 100 years back. And why did he say this? 100 years back, and there is no problem of climate change. There is no pollution problem. Because the fundamental which is there all our lives and generations and written in the scriptures that look, we have to limit our consumption. And that I think uh, we are, you know, violating this left and right, and we are trying to produce more, consume more, accumulate more. I think that is what is creating problem. Uh, and that most people, most industries, most government, most individual don't understand. That no matter what, no matter how advanced your and my science is, you can go to the moon, you can send your mission to the Mars, you can develop a 6G network, a 10G network uh, technology, but Ultimately, you have to limit the consumption of materials and energy that we consume because the planet is not growing and the resources are not growing. As simple as this. Now, uh, okay, I understand the planet is not growing, but when you say the resources are not growing, explain that. How can resources not grow? For example, you know, we... Uh, so. So, Koshal, uh, the three most fundamentals uh, requirement of human life to survive and sustain on this planet is air to breathe, water to drink, and food to eat, right? These are the three fundamentals. I mean, if you don't have TV or mobile phone, we can still survive, but without uh, drinking water, breathing air, or eating food, uh, we will not survive. Now, what is happening, for example, let's take an example of water as a resource, you know? What is happening? all over the country, you, you know that water table is going down. You know, because we are we are consuming more water than it is that we are recharging the underground. As a result, water table is going down. Now, this process cannot be continuous. It has to stop at some point of time. We'll run out of water and water is one of the most critical resource. Air, for example, you know, we all, I mean, we can live without water for three days or four days, but you cannot live without breathing for more than two minutes. And therefore, something which you're doing it every single second in your life, how can we pollute the same air? Yet it is not getting refreshed automatically, right? So you have to maintain the quality. How can, I mean, the, the constructions are going, the roads are becoming bigger and the more population is growing, the amount of soil is not growing. In fact, there is a study that shows that almost 30% of the soil on the planet has become dust. And there's a difference between soil and dust. Dust cannot produce anything. So the soil is, is getting smaller and smaller. It is not growing by any chance. And you need soil to grow your food, right? So that's why the basics itself are going wrong. 
fundamentally wrong. And though our science is growing, technology is growing, economy is growing, the water quality is not growing, rather going down, air quality is going down, food quality is going down. There, nobody can guarantee that the you and I, the food that we're eating is without any chemicals. So we somehow are behaving in a manner by neglecting the fundamentals of life on this planet, air, water, and soil, which is not growing, which is constant, and you have to live within these limits. Does it Professor make sense? Sulank, Professor Sulanki, you made an a priori assumption here. Your assumption here is that the world population is going to go on growing. Now, why would you make an assumption like that based on what trends? Because if you look at the history of the human race, let's say Homo sapiens from the last 350,000 years where we are this in this form, as we know, modern science, as far as the current evidence is concerned, the current Homo sapien is from the 350,000 range. Now, there have been multiple stages in the history of the current Homo sapien where populations have dropped drastically. It's gone up, but it has gone down. Now, we are in a stage because of modernity and great advances in medical science and the advent of agriculture, where we are now in a stage where uh, human population is increasing. But uh, uh, we, we consistently see trends um, where once societies reach a certain level of uh, weirdness, weird being being westernized, educated, industrialized, uh, mm -hmm. uh, that's the acronym I'm talking about. Uh, mm -hmm. Their population starts dropping. They the birth rates go below the replacement rate, which is 2.1. You can look at the history. All societies, their birth rates drop once they become rich. Now, what if somebody came back to you and said, well, then the solution is make sure everybody becomes rich because they naturally will not produce. And the per capita consumption and the load on the planet will automatically reduce, right? Well, I mean, so I am not worried about the population as such, you know. Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, go back to the fundamentals again, when Mahatma Gandhi said, there is enough in the world for everyone's need, not for anyone's greed. He did not say there's enough only for 1 billion people or 10 billion people. So population as such is not a problem. What is problem is the consumption per capita, which is actually grown, grown uh, up drastically. And that is where the problem is. You know, I, I think nature is enough. You know, it is already feeding millions of species of different kinds and billions of in numbers. So that I don't think is a problem. Everybody can live and survive. The per capita consumption, the mindless consumption and accumulation that we all do, I think that is where the problem is. Uh, that nature cannot supply. The greeds uh, are unlimited and nothing can you know, fulfill the greed. Yeah, but then how do we deal with the problem of poverty then? The only way I see people coming out of poverty is through industrialization. Now, uh, if we don't industrialize, the what are we going to do with all all these poor people in India then? Yeah, so that's a, that's again a, another wrong uh, way of approaching the solution. Yes, we need to, of course, those who are you know below poverty or at that margins, we need to lift them up. But we need to lift them up. We don't have to lift the entire society. You know, when we say six percent growth, look at the economic reports. Who is growing at six percent? You know, so typically every economic report of every year shows you that rich is becoming richer and poor is poorer. So our economic model is designed in a manner that somebody who's having a lot of money will, will find it easier to grow. And somebody who's having less money will find it difficult to grow. Absolutely, the bottom 30%, 20% needs to grow and needs to grow much more. 
but that is where our model has to be different the current model of uh, centralized economy where you know somebody makes a big factory somebody makes big this that is i think where the problem is and, and that's why i i i called already one fundamental limit of the nature that nature is not growing and the resources are not growing therefore we have to limit our consumption let me come with the second boundary condition at this point what is the second boundary condition and i call them you know i refer always to professor solanki's laws of human existence you know? the first says that in an ecosystem of finite resources there has to be finite consumption it's a very logical statement right when we are salaries fixed your expenses have to be fixed second law says in an ecosystem of finite resources there has to be distributed production why because whenever you make a centralized production invariably by nature it results in unequal distribution unequal distribution will result in a you know gap in the society uh, eventually uh, inequality will increase uh, that is what is increasing all the time and it will result in lack of peace and eventually violence so because every resource is finite it is better always that you go for a distributed production and again let me bring the quote from mahatma gandhi he said not the mass production production by masses is required because whenever i start producing by masses whenever i start producing in smaller pockets the distribution of wealth created is much much better and it's greater autonomy there's a greater equalizing force that model will actually lift the score uh, from the you know uh, from the bottom otherwise you know one side we keep growing income but other side we also keep growing the the cost of the product and the cost of living it doesn't help poor so why i feel that the model of Uh, this growth itself has to be relooked uh, right now then i think we can lift all this poor and and i had this kind of discussion by the ekushal with the you know vice chairman of niti ayog also and uh, he also agreed that you know finally our model lifts everyone i mean it's try to lift everyone but the the focus has to be lifting the bottom 20 30% for that we need a different model to lift them up uh, uh, and not lift everyone else that is not required now i'll partially agree with you and partially disagree with you where i agree with you is that we uh we should cons- be concerned about the bottom 30% now on the bit i disagree with you now in the history of humanity i have not seen socialism or communism lifting anyone out of poverty the only thing socialism and communism can guarantee is making sure everybody remains poor and uh, well, how do i know this i have data to back it up the history of world economics that is first of all i i don't agree with gandhi gandhian uh, socialism i am a vehement opponent of gandhian socialism i am a, i am someone who's more on ambedkar side so I, and and i agree with ambedkar when he used to say that villages are a cesspool of mediocrity and communalism which it is in my view i think urban centers are amazing uh, ivc was far more superior than gandhian villages this is just my opinion i just want to state yeah. the record no what capitalism i'm saying is yeah but capitalism is, has pulled more people out of poverty in the history of human race than any other time yes income equality i am with you on the income equality bit uh, uh who was that uh, economist jiska kafi naam aata hai stanley or something who's this guy who keeps talking about income inequality and how it's rising uh, income inequality is rising but what we need to realize is thanks to capitalism and thanks to I'm not saying this economic model is perfect. I am a strong proponent of conscious capitalism, which is where I will actually support you. 
But the point mm-hmm. is, still, we need capitalism to pull people out of poverty because Gandhi and socialism will not. Yeah, so what I'm saying is, what I'm saying, forget about capitalism or socialism or communism. No, let's say, okay, these are the 30% population which needs to be lifted in the current tools that we have, whether there is a scientific tools available, technology available, there's the economy, there's a money pool available. Now, how do I use these pools to bring them out? And therefore, all my thinking are the, let's say, when the Niti Aayog decides a policy, let, let that policy be figuring out the growth for these 30% people. And which may eventually follow, uh, let's say, capitalist model. But then your orientation, your thought process, your design of the policy will be for this bottom 30%. And then we can use the benefits of capitalism and bring them out. That's what I'm saying. When you make a policy, think it carefully, design it carefully so that it actually helps where it is needed most, not in general policy. And right now things are in general. Yeah. Fair enough. So I, I misspoke. It was not Stanley. It is Thomas Piketty who keeps talking about nice. inequality. He's one of the few economists who has raised the points of inequality. But then there are uh, criticisms of it. Is But now I want to talk about how and why solar is very important because that's the thing that the foundation focuses on. So I'll share my experience as a factory owner. I ran a factory from the year 2004 to the year 2020 nonstop. Uh, so I'll share my story with you. I have two stories about solar. I actually worked on a village under the Sansad Adash Gram Yojana, where we, I think, got more than 100 houses converted to solar rooftops and they got solar power. So I'm actually completely in support of solar power as a concept. I, I fully endorse it. Now, here's a problem I faced in my factory. I was very gung-ho on solar. I did a survey done on my factory whatever you know they look at the direction of the sun the square footage of the area on the top Mm -hmm. and everything after calculating everything they gave me a a quotation and it was a gigantic figure i think more than 50 lakhs or something for eleven thousand square feet of solar rooftop uh and it gave me uh, obviously now today the yields of the panels must have increased but in spite of that it did not give me a power generation of more more than 12 lakhs per annum now, for me, for a, while I look at it at a residential level, it was beautiful. I could convert the, the villages and the villages could get baseline power. But my problem conceptually with solar stems from the fact that the moment the per capita consumption increases, right, the yield per square foot of the panel seems to not back it. Now, how do we solve that problem? Because you have an ally in me when it comes to solar. Yeah. So, so let's understand this. And I think, Krishal, uh, what I'm going, whatever I'm going to say, you will, you may feel surprised. And the whole, that's I think again, the, you know, the world has not understood it uh, properly. The solar. By the way, uh, first of all, the what foundation is trying to do, what I'm trying to do with my Atra is solar is one small part of it. What I'm telling people is. Look, guys, climate change is serious. It is because of carbon energy. So the way to define the whole problem and solution, let me uh, rephrase it. So the problem is the use of wrong energy, which is a carbon-based energy because it does a lot of uh, negative things. The solution is switch to the right energy, which is the solar energy, but in the right way and at the right time. In the right, If you don't do it in the right way and at the right time, solar is not a solution. Most people don't understand this. And therefore, 
rule number one of using solar energy is do not use solar energy. That has to be understood first. You know, and and like I'm a professor of solar energy and brand ambassador of solar energy, and people call me solar man of India. And everybody expect me to tell like you're also expecting that you know use solar. I'm saying no. The rule number one of using solar energy is do not use solar energy. And let me explain you why. Because I did my PhD in solar and I've written many books and did a lot of research. Any technology, anything that you manufacture on this planet will have negative impact on environment. In solar, what we do, we mainly it is silicon-based. And silicon is a very high melting temperature, by the way, you know, some 1480 degrees centigrade. So we melted some 16, 1800 degrees centigrade thrice to make it pure crystal and silicon vapor. Then we make solar cell. Again, 860 degree treatment. Then we make module. For making module, you require glass. And we may have to make glass. Then there's the aluminum frame that we need to, we have to mine aluminum and all. Then you need to erect the module, we require iron structure. To take the power out, you require copper cable. To process the power, you require inverter. Now, all this material has to be mined. You need to use chemicals. You need to put electricity to it. Eventually, by the time the solar panel, the inverter, the cable is ready, you already impacted the environment to some extent. So, so solar electricity is definitely much better than coal electricity, but it will have non-zero impact on the environment. And therefore, as in English we say, prevention is better than cure. Using solar energy is cure, but not using any energy is prevention, which is thousand times better. And therefore, rule number one of using solar energy is avoid use of energy, even if it is solar energy. Very, very important to understand. By, by the way, I have created this uh, three-step approach. It is called AMG for using solar energy. I mean, there's no choice. The whole humanity has to switch to solar energy. We have to do that. There is no choice because, you know, the solar energy center of our existence. We all exist because of the sun. It is, you know, I, I philosophically, I explained it to people that, you know, in Hindi, we say, we exist because of the sun. We have lost the track as a humanity and we have based our life 85% on coal, oil and gas. We have to come back to the sun. But what is the approach to come back to the sun? AMG. Avoid, minimize, generate. A is avoid the use of energy even if it is solar energy. Kushal, when I'm traveling all over the country, I know I've, I've been to some 900 organizations, schools, colleges, corporates, government office, north, south, east, west, everywhere. Believe me, kind of misuse of energy that we all are doing is so enormous. My simple thumb, you know, back of the envelope calculation shows me if you use electricity properly, the next 10 years, India does not need any new power plants. That is, the, that is the best thing we can do for climate change mitigation. Don't use it. How? Avoid it. And there are a lot of things that is avoidable, by the way, uh, that uh, we don't need it, but we end up using it. If you cannot avoid it, minimize it. How do I minimize it? There are beautiful, efficient you know, appliances that are available today. LED is a great example. It saves your carbon emission by half because it's saving your electricity by half. BLDC fan is another great example. Five-star rated appliances are another great example. There's so many appliances available where you'll cut down on your electricity by some 30, 40, 50%. So avoid one-third, minimize one-third, generate only one-third. You know? Uh, Generate one third and where and locally, wherever you are. So AMG one third, one third, one third. This I think is the formula. 
and uh, as you said kushal probably this will not be applicable in industry as it is because industries are heavy in manufacturing and, and therefore industry may have to follow a little bit uh, different approach but avoid and minimize everybody has to follow and when we go by this amg rule then uh, we can avoid saying omg oh my god solar is expensive oh my god rooftop space is not there oh my god policy is not there and all kind of things will come so i think anybody whether it is individual or domestic or industry the best approach to switch to solar is a, a, amg and then it is definitely viable and suitable let me come to your second question uh, uh, about the cost there are a lot of people and lot means 99% people and you know, ask them what is the problem in the solar adoption the first thing they'll say is it is expensive well i i explain them that absolutely it is not what is and then i ask people cross question what is cheap for you tell me how much you want solar to be and i'll give solar at that rate and most time the people have no idea only thing they know is it's expensive and then i then i explain them the look guys the 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 gold that you and i buy it's a 60000 rupees for 10 gram that's expensive but we all buy gold the mobile phones you and i own maybe 30000 40000 50000 rupees there is a 1100 or 5000 rupees phone also available the cars that you and i buy is 5 lakh and 10 lakh rupees so it takes only 2 lakh rupees for a person to solar power his house and basic needs right so when it comes to all this thing we actually buy much more expensive things than the solar and therefore switching to solar is not a matter of economic choice i mean in industry also i'll come to again but domestic it is not a matter of economic choice it's a question of priority where you put your priority and the kind of contribution we all make to the climate change and carbon emission solar energy adoption is not your choice and my choice it has it, it is the compulsion of the modern life today we need to switch to solar energy otherwise we are all going to pay very dearly the consequences of climate change for industry let me explain the rate that a industry in general is paying in india is about 8 to 9 rupees sometime 10 rupees sometime in you know, mumbai in 11 12 13 rupees per unit the cost of solar electricity generation at industry scale will be around 3 rupees 3.5 rupees 4 rupees that's it in the worst situation it is not more than 4 rupees it's already much much cheaper uh, than the industrial electricity rates at any industry speed so whether uh, uh, from the cost perspective it is already cheaper but i believe that let us not make a cost argument for adoption of solar energy because it is not a question of choice anymore the way climate is changing it is a compulsion of modern life and that everybody has to adopt to solar energy especially let's say top 30 40% people Uh, uh, without any policy or without thinking twice so what uh, uh, i'm just stating it so i don't want to misinterpret you or misunderstand you it is some sort of a responsible lifestyle where i'm not using the word minimalism per se i i nor am i saying that you are uh, promoting minimalism but what uh, what i understand is that you could make intelligent decisions about uh, your purchases uh you could make intelligent decisions about many things i am the way i am now uh, i i'm i don't buy many things but where i have to i will go and do it and that's just the way i live my life but the point is that yes uh, leds we did switch to leds but the reason people switch to leds let me be very clear is not that they cared for the environment the only reason they switch to led is mere ghar ka bijli ka bill kam ho jayega 
I save money. Now, don't you think the biggest failure of the climate change industry or the climate change activism has been that they don't understand human psychology? And let me explain why. Today, the world's face of climate change is the one person who should not be the face. That is Greta Thunberg. First of all, kids are stupid. Ah, yes, I said this. I'm not saying Professor Solanki is saying that. I'm saying kids are stupid. They should go to school. They should not waste their time shouting at adults. They don't get a say in this. There is a reason why voting ages are 18 and above. Kids are literally stupid. Most of my listeners will be stupid too if they are kids. It, I don't care if they get hurt because I said this. No, you don't get to sit in the adult table. I listen to Professor Solanki. I'm not listening to Greta Thunberg and her you know, uh, outrageous nonsense where uh, just the cost of her traveling costs more than uh, most of the things happen on planet Earth. Or crazy people uh, throwing oil paint on uh, Mona Lisa or Van Gogh or, or, uh, or uh, stopping highways on the road and, you know, maybe some person might be going. Now, I'm not trying to tarnish the entire industry through this. But unfortunately, now look at how you are having a conversation. I don't have to disagree, uh, agree or disagree with you on everything. But I can have a conversation with you. I can't have a conversation with Greta Thunberg. I can't. I, 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 and, and, and it bothers me. It bothers me because Al Gore made an outrageous claim in 2000 when it, he made his movie. And those claims were flawed. So I, I want to talk about something where, you know, there was this interesting study. Uh, it was done by the Wiley Interdisciplinary Review where they actually did look at could a minimalist lifestyle reduce carbon emissions and improve well-being? This was done by Rebecca Blackburn. It was done actually recently in 2023. Mm -hmm. And what shocked me that they could not find conclusive evidence of uh, minimalist lifestyles leading to maximalist changes considering the rate at which the climate is changing. So what that means is that we, if we want to solve the climate problem, it has to come from a policy level, top down from governments. And here's my next question. Why are climate activists, I'm not saying you are, please don't get me wrong. Why are climate activists so allergic to nuclear power? It's, you know, they have a nuclear explosion in their brain when we talk about nuclear power. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, so Pishal, I mean, you know, it has been like 1160 odd days that I'm living in the bus and traveling and thinking 365 days in a year, by the way. And uh, so one thing that is very clear is, and I, I I know the solar energy makes a lot of economic sense. I never make an economic argument for a couple of reasons. And I'll come to the nuclear energy also. Why, uh, why economic argument is not going to work, you know, that uh, there are some threshold you know, thresholds in our lives, you know, everything like like rubber also, if you can pull it for some level, it will go back to the shape. And if, when you pull it beyond a particular level, it will break down. To the climate change also, there are those thresholds, you know, that exist. And the first threshold that climate scientists have been writing about for many, many decades now is 1.5 degrees centigrade. And if you Google search just 1.5 degrees centigrade, you'll find hundreds of millions of articles. And the second threshold is 2 degrees centigrade. So what will happen between 1.5 to 2 is that the climate change will start to become irreversible by 1.5. And when it touches 2 degrees, that 
it will be almost uh, completely irreversible, which means that beyond 2 degrees centigrade of global warming, whatever you and I will do will not restore the balance. That will not, right? Because it's an irreversible process. And in life, in general, things are when things are broken, you can't correct it as it is. Now, how much time is left to 1.5 degrees centigrade depends on two parameters. One is how much more we can afford to throw carbon in the atmosphere. That is called carbon budget. As of today, that carbon budget is almost around 200, 220 billion tons. But here comes a second number, which is what really worrisome is the rate of carbon emission. You'll be shocked to know uh, that the rate of carbon emission per second, you know, probably you can never judge it. But the number is 14 lakh kilogram carbon dioxide is pumped in the atmosphere in how much time? Just one second. Now, when you divide the first number, our 220 billion, by the second number, you'll get to know how much time is left. That number will come to something like five years and you know, 150 days, 160 days. That's the timeline we are talking. Why I believe very strongly that why policies are not going to work or the regulations are not going to work because the whole world came together in 1997, first time, and it actually signed what is called Kyoto Protocol. I mean, I'm sure you, you heard of Kyoto Protocol, right? 1997, 25 years gone. After that, every single year, there's a COP meeting taking place, right? Who is attending COP meeting? The world's top leaders, the prime ministers, the presidents of the world. 195 countries are the signees of Paris Agreement signed in 2050. What did the agreement? It's a legally binding agreement on every country. What does it say? It said that by 2030, every country is going to cut down their carbon emission by 45%. And, you know, I was so happy in 2016. Wow, this year carbon emission will go down. 17, it will go further down. 18, it will go further down. The reality, Kushal, is that the carbon emissions are increasing every single year at the rate of 1.4%, 1.5%. What it shows us that not only in India, but every country, and by the way, when I traveled across the world, I went to Africa, I went to you know, North America, South America, Europe, Asia, everywhere. What I could see is there's only one thing common in all the countries is the traffic jam. And that made me really thinking, how can every country can go wrong? And the only one parameter that every government, every industry, every individual is following is, you know, growth of economy at the cost of everything else. And therefore, Einstein said it beautifully. Now, what he said? He said the very same consciousness that has created the problem cannot be used to solve the same problem. It is this economic growth and this model that has created the problem. You cannot use the same model to solve it. And therefore, not economic reasoning. It's not going to work because I don't have 50 years time to make my policies. I have five years time. So economic reasoning alone is not going to be enough. Technological solution alone is not going to be enough. One has to think beyond this. Growth for what? What do I want for me and my children? If growth means prosperity, then every time when my GDP increases by 5%, the smile should also be increasing by 5%. That's not happening. Stress is increasing. Depression is increasing. Violence is increasing. Water is getting polluted. Air is getting polluted. Climate is changing. So every parameter is going in opposite direction. Therefore, I believe and I request every grown-up, every individual, every parent to pause for half an hour. Think what you're looking from this growth. And whatever you're looking from this growth, if you're not getting, then think about it. 
what else needs to be done and therefore i think every parent as a duty forget about society forget about country you want your children you you do everything for your children do one thing leave behind a livable planet for your children and for living life on this planet you need only three things make sure that your child gets a you know clean air to breathe make sure that your child can drink a glass of water without filtering make sure that your child can eat a food without chemicals only this every parents you know get on to or it takes care of economics it takes care of everything that is that is involved in it so what i'm saying is uh, i believe very strongly now i'm thinking every day and and i'm 25 years in this field that it is beyond economic reasoning people have to adopt to solar energy people have to go from a careless consumption to cautious consumption i am also traveling in the bus i am also using diesel but i am doing it very cautiously i am cutting down where it is not required i don't iron my clothes there is no refrigerator in my home there is i don't take bath with the hot water i don't use air conditioning that is avoidable for me but i need to use diesel to go around and meet millions of people so that we can educate them and empower them with the right solution so one has to go from a careless consumption to the cautious consumption Uh, and then only we can solve the problem and therefore i believe that governments all over the world they are elected for either four years or five years and no government can think in a six years term every government every policy maker every bureaucrat will think only in five years term and therefore those timelines are not enough to solve the problem and therefore it has to become emotional game it has to become everybody's game because every individual is contributing to the problem and therefore every individual has to be part of the solution everybody is part of the pollution everybody has to be part of the solution if not for anybody else for their own sake their own body i have my dharma to keep my body healthy for that i need to breathe and clean uh, breathe clean air and drink clean water for my own body i need to do this and for my own children i need to now i i will disagree with you on the violence is increasing actually this is the safest time to be alive in the entire human history basically we're just fat people over consumption watching tv watching big boss it's actually one of the best times to be alive i i will humbly disagree with you and there is no data point that can prove globally that violence has increased in the world um now how do you make sense of this now uh okay i understand uh, this man generates uh, a lot of uh, irk or ire in the climate activism field but i mean i think people should instead of pointing fingers at each other i might like i have read his work i have read the work criticizing him i'm talking about bjorn lomberg i don't know how many people know know who bjorn lomberg is he is uh, you know he's uh, he's a climate change believer but he's a skeptic at skeptic of climate alarmism and uh, he's someone who i think he is danish yeah he's danish and he is the president of a think tank called the copenhagen consensus center now he uh, i i remember a long time ago some of the points he made in a talk where he said basically global warming is a real problem but mm-hmm. often it's over exaggerated climate alarmism that's what he talks about now as per him fire burn areas have decreased from 4% per year of global land in 1900 to 2.5% in recent years deaths from climate related disasters have declined from 500000 in 1920 to just under 7000 in the recent years 
and uh, the cost to actually mitigate all of this is uh, coming down in a very successful way in fact uh, uh, even hurricanes that used to cost 0.04% of the gdp but uh, as human prosperity increases and if we keep becoming richer and richer human beings which is the trend till now uh, the assessments uh, this was i think uh, in nature the study was done that by 2100 0.202% ho the cost of hurricanes so in, in such a scenario why why can't we think of innovation through uh, to be to be a solution like why why is there resistance for uh, innovation now yes solar is one of the things but then i still did not get an answer on nuclear power why this resistance to nuclear power how how can anybody objectively disprove that nuclear power works no absolutely i mean we should, we definitely need innovation but what i'm saying is uh, uh, that the innovation will not help in you know violating the limiting consumption boundary condition that i told you know because no matter what what you can do is you can make your consumption more efficient even more efficient even more efficient but eventually there is a consumption you can make bulbs more efficient you can make you know cfl and then led but led eventually takes a material that cannot be made zero right you can't it tends to limit to zero that will not happen so that's why it's important to limit the consumption and become a cautious user of everything that we do nuclear energy yes anything that does not impact environment anything that can be localized is a great technology what we have not demonstrated yet you know that it can be localized it it is always required a large scale power plant it always required a lot of time to establish uh, such a power plant and the nuclear waste that is coming out is still there's a big question mark whether we can handle it carefully or not and uh, even in uh, in india there was a technology called breeder reactor and last 25 30 years a lot of money has gone into it but it has not demonstrated uh, that it can actually work and therefore there is it remains as a practical it's just a demonstration model not a real practical model. so uh, my way of explaining my student you know that uh, limiting and localizing these are the two boundary conditions anything that helps us to limit and localize is the solution is electric vehicle is a solution uh, according to me it does not help us to limit the consumption and neither it can be done in a local way therefore it is it can be a good breather for another 20 years but it cannot be the ultimate solution so similar to that nuclear fuel uh, uh, or nuclear technology is the solution provided we can you know fall into this broader boundary conditions and which has not been demonstrated yet uh, and that's why as a as a result the, all over the world and many countries like france and all where the nuclear electricity uh, percentage is already going down in many other countries us as for example has not set any new, new nuclear plant for i think last 28 30 years if i'm correct yeah but isn't that based on more fear mongering because of chernobyl fukushima and what was that one mile island i mean uh, it is based more on fear mongering again than less on science like if you ask people their opposition to nuclear they always give this uh, like catastrophic uh, answer but i mean how if i was to ask them okay how many people died in fukushima it's barely any yeah so i mean that's not a problem you know the, the, i i think the technology is perfectly fine because it's very clean and uh, it can give a lot of energy uh, uh in a smaller fuel quantity but as i said the, the how do we handle it how do we manage the wastage that is coming out of it 
uh, the, those are the questions. And also the time it takes, you know, the nuclear power plant, it takes seven, eight years, nine years of time frame to set up the whole thing. Uh, the kind of growth that we have been observing in our uh, consumption, uh, that makes it uh, not so competitive uh, in in the options available to us. And I think that those are the greater reasons. Fair enough. So I, I have a couple of questions from the viewers also. So somebody has made a comment uh, mixed with a question. This is this listener is from Australia. This person is saying Australia in, in Australia, solar energy is much cheaper for private homes due to it being heavily subsidized. But roof space per family is completely different. So the challenge is mind boggling to tackle per unit cost in a country like India. What are uh, Professor Solanki's suggestions to tackle that that problem? Well, I, as I always keep saying, and I've been traveling everywhere, the, the, the ultimate formula is AMG, Avoid, Minimize, Generate. When we follow this, what happens? Your consumption itself is going down significantly because you're the most efficient and most cautious user. Now, when your consumption is down, uh, your rooftop space requirement, your cost of the solar system, everything, your requirement will go down. And therefore, uh, uh, therefore it is possible that people adopt solar energy beyond policies beyond subsidies, beyond net metering. And that is what the whole concept of energy independence, energy Swaraj, you know, that the whole idea is that uh, when people start moving towards energy independence, where I can generate my own energy needs and I do not depend on the government, so I make I make my government also free. The government doesn't need all kind of infrastructure to set transmission lines, distribution lines, maintenance, burning coal in the night, storage, all kind of things. My bus, you know, here, for example, everything that you see is runs on solar. And there are rooftops, there are solar panels, and there's a kitchen here in the bus that is also induction cook stove. My light, my fan, my cooler, my power, everything runs on solar. I'm self-sufficient. In fact, there is a school uh, that I have developed, uh, Kushal, in Madhya Pradesh. It's called Education Park, 14-acre campus. It was built in 2010. Uh, and since 2010 till today, there is no electricity connection ever taken from outside. It's a self-sufficient campus. And I think that is my great contribution to my country because I don't put my burden to the country to generate and give me and put all thousands of kilometers of transmission distribution lines. The the This listener is from Australia, no? India imports coal from Australia. I mean, it's such a mind-boggling process to think that somebody mining a coal in Australia, putting in the train, bringing it into the harbor of Australia, then putting into the ship, running it 10,000 kilometers, bringing it the harbor of India, putting into the train again, then bringing it to the coal power plant, then burning the coal with only efficiency of 35%, then running a turbine and running a generator, then generating a high voltage, then putting a transmission distribution line, then step down, again transmission distribution line, again step down, you know, seven steps it goes. And then finally electricity comes to your and my home. And what people say, Oh, I forgot to switch off the light. I forgot to do this. How can you do this? Look at the process that goes beyond behind uh, generating electricity from coal. Such a complicated, such an infrastructure intensive process. That's why it is a wisdom. It's a wise decision for anybody to generate wherever you are. And I think that is the best thing you can do for your environment, for your government, for yourself and for your future generation. And by nature, right. it is going to limit your consumption automatically because your supply is limited. Let me share one last thing, you know, why people go wrong in using solar energy. And I'm sure it must be happening all over the world. You know, when I was traveling to Gujarat and I saw many people using solar energy, so I was very happy initially that, wow, 
Gujarat is a developing state and a lot of people are using solar energy. But after my lecture and somebody, you know, some professor came to me and he said, sir, thank you so much. You opened my eyes. And I said, what happened? He said, sir, you know, my sister called me a few days back and he said, my sister has installed six kilowatt solar system uh, on the rooftop, six kilowatt. And, and she said, uh, no, brother, earlier there was only one AC in the room. Now all the three rooms are having AC. And still I'm having electricity. Tell me what more I can do. The problem is people use solar energy to save money, not save environment. These are the two different things. When you want to save money, you have to maximize your generation. When you want to save environment, you have to minimize your consumption. This nitty-gritty has to be understood when you really want to use solar energy or for that matter, anything that you want to do for environment and climate change is minimize your consumption, not maximize your generation because then you are aligned with the boundary conditions of living sustainably on this planet of limiting and localizing. So somebody has asked this question to you. I changed to LED, BLDC, etc. Now I'm planning to install a 6.2 kilowatt solar plant at home um lead acid batteries which need replacement in eight years how is this feasible every eight years am i not uh, increasing the cost and actually that people are getting uh, disincentivized from the technology itself well uh, that's the right question but uh, one has to understand if you don't use the lead acid battery for eight years all those eight years every single day you're going to burn coal now you do your math, you figure out that burning coal every day is better or using battery and replacing once in seven year or eight years better. Obviously, anything that you do every day is going to accumulate to such a bigger number. The only problem is you don't see that because of your electricity coal is burning, but you are going to see your battery. And that is where that there is a mismatch in thinking. Uh, and that's why I say many people are apprehensive about the use of battery and the impact it does on the environment. Answer is yes, it does have impact on the environment. That's why avoid it, minimize and generate. But if you don't use battery, you're going to use coal every single day. Uh, you're going to become responsible for burning coal every single day. And therefore, at any given day, the batteries will always be a better option. But why won't just the net meterage process be better instead of having a battery? Let's say your generation is not as much as your uh, overall household consumption, which will be the case in most houses in India until and unless you're not really below the poverty line where you literally live off one bulb or one fan or something of that sort. Mm -hmm. Now, in that case, for people, middle class homes and above, doesn't it make sense that they just send the power back to the grid at least that way they're offsetting that much power requirement. Yeah, I mean, that's a good argument, uh, Kushal, but eventually what happens, the same household in the night is going to take the power. Now, government is not going to store the power. Government also is not going to store it. Going, government has to going to burn coal during the night time. Government has to put all this infrastructure of ten and thousands of kilometers and transmission lines and distribution lines. So the entire process it has itself its own loss of 20-30% transmission distribution. And therefore, uh, I have not done 100% maths on it, but I believe uh, from my basic uh, backup the envelope calculation that storage and becoming indep being independent wherever it is possible is always a better choice than net metering because it also helps you to limit your consumption. When you have infinite supply, Kushal, you know, as a human nature, you tend to miss things, you tend to overuse things, you will not think twice in bringing new appliances to your home and all. 
and that's why uh, the becoming independent uh, energy independent is i think the most powerful thing for individual for institution for industry and now the government also no considering the geopolitical stress that are getting created in the world energy independence is a very very powerful idea so before we wrap up uh, professor solanki one last question uh, is there any way people can uh, assist this uh, energy swaraj foundation uh, whether monetarily or through volunteering uh, what would be the best way to get in touch with you guys well definitely i mean uh, 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 the whole idea of this yatra that i left my home for 11 years and i'm living in a bus and traveling and meeting thousands of people is to create some kind of a public moment where we all come together and solve this problem so we need funds and uh, people can support us they can go to energyswaraj.org that's our website and there is a donate button so people can go to the donate button and uh, also on give india uh, 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 website we are running a campaign uh, for for uh, becoming pe- asking people to become the mo- member of this movement uh, so they can go to give india and search for energy swaraj foundation so these are the two ways people can help us people can contribute somebody want to volunteer their time most welcome because our programs of energy literacy we believe not only uh, in india but all over the world people have to become energy literate and i think it's a very powerful course uh, which is only 3 hours uh, people can do that course and also help us in spreading energy literacy make sure that every user of energy is energy literate i call it as a license to use energy you know for driving vehicle you need license similar to use energy you need you should have a license to use energy and that license is my energy literacy training so help us with the monetarily help us with the time because i believe that we are literally running out of time and uh, we need to take uh, immediate actions uh, and every individual has to take action we can't leave anybody behind fair enough professor solanki i wish you best uh, wish you the best uh, i hope uh, you convince people more and more people like i said i i may agree with your proposal i may not agree with the solutions and the ways you do it i i still am a hardcore believer in the in the strength of human ingenuity i i'm not a i, I i'm not a proponent of minimalism although i do live uh, a life which uh, where i don't even own a watch by the way i don't even have one but uh, that's my personal choice i will never tell anybody else that they should not have watches i still believe that capitalism is the best way to pull people out of uh, poverty and capitalism will drive it is only human greed that will drive the solution for climate change eventually because we are such greedy people that because we want to enjoy the good life we will come up with a solution for this and yeah some might say oh elon to mars mein chal jayega bhai har aadmi to elon nahi hai na to bakiyon ka kya hoga to wo jo hum log ka collective greed hai will hopefully you will be happy but it's just that what you want will be achieved through greed not through sensibility but that's my view but i wish you all the best and all the success thank you we just need to be cautious in everything that we do and eventually what we want to achieve out of it and if that clarity is there and if you're actually achieving it all the best and do it that's what i keep saying you know but we are all growing to become happy but if you're not becoming happy you know let's think about it that's what i'm saying here yeah and now now somebody might might come up with a meme which say oh kushal mehra says greed is good <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but but once again thank you very much for coming professor selanki it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you and i appreciate how you took all my questions and even my disagreements on certain issues while i am in agreement with the larger framing of your argument but uh, thank you very much for coming thank you so much uh, kushal for having me it was a pleasure and i hope uh, 
it will help some minds to think more about the climate change and corrective actions. Thank you so much. All right, guys. So in the description of the podcast, whether you're listening to the audio version on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to, or you're watching this on YouTube or on Facebook for that matter, the 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 links to the Dr. Solanki's Twitter handle, Energy Swaraj's Twitter handle, and the Energy Swaraj website link is there in the description. So you can go and check their work out. And if you have any more questions, you can email them. You can have disagreements with them. And if you agree with the way they're going forward, you can go and help them out. You can also help them through donation. And if you like what I'm doing over here, my job on this podcast is try to present to you guys different arguments, different subjects, which is why I don't do ad reads on this podcast so that I can talk about whatever I want to. Otherwise, if I had some company who may not like Dr. Solanki's agenda, they may have stopped me from talking to Dr. Solanki because I don't take money from any companies. I can literally talk about whatever I want to. But that happens is because you guys join my membership program. So please support me. You can become a member on YouTube, Fanmo, Patreon, wherever you want to. You can buy the Charvuk podcast merchandise. And if you can't do anything, just like, subscribe. Leave a comment and if you're an audio listener, leave a rating. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, namaste, take care, bye-bye.